Good morning, everybody. I'm Emily, married to Martin, in case you're visiting for the first time and you didn't know why um, I might be his, what did you say, favourite senior pastor or bias, bias, that's, that's why I'm explaining that. Um, so Martin and I, some years ago, we went on a holiday to Zante, and uh, this was before we had any of our four sons, we've got four children. And so we found ourselves actually at a point getting quite bored. And um, so one day we hired... Um, a car, like the cheapest car we could find. And uh, we thought we'd go and see a bit more of this Greek island. So we hired this cheapest car and we got into it and it was, um, the gears were really dodgy and the brakes were really dodgy. The whole body of the car sort of rattled and um, shaked around and it was all clunky, there was no power. And I don't know if any of you have been to any of the Greek islands, but the roads around there, they're, they're quite dusty, some of them quite rubbly. And so to be in this car, this vehicle that I'm driving, that I just thought, I, I've no, this has got no power, it's got no brakes, it's got no grip. It was, um, it was quite a sort of scary thing to do. And the worst bit was when this local coach came round the mountain, one of the mountains that we were on, and it was quite a narrow road. And because it was a local coach, they know the roads. They come up really quite quickly, quite fast around the mountainside. And I was driving this car. And it was very, it was this close to doing a Thelma and Louise kind of going straight off the edge. The whole thing was totally out of control. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced even to this day that there was an angel there just keeping the car on the road. I felt completely out of control. And we took the car straight back to the place uh, where we'd hired it and got a full refund. And I went there and I just said, this is not safe. I know it was your cheapest car, but it's not safe. Felt completely out of control. We'd like our money back. Now, I wonder whether there's a situation that comes for you to your mind in life when you have felt out of control. Perhaps these things are going on around you at the moment when you feel like you're out of control. Demands at work. Maybe there's pressures of exams, complicated relationships. There are loads of external factors that make us feel like life can sometimes just be completely out of control. And there are also internal factors as well. I remember in January 2019, um, Everything was fine at home, family's health was fine, we weren't having to move house, there weren't any major life changes going on at that point um, in time. And yet I felt I started to feel less than fine. I was beginning to feel this um, sense of like inner worthlessness, of isolation, of isolation, of being a bit detached. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. It was like the lights are on, but no one is at home. It's like my inner confidence completely hit rock bottom. And I began to totally dread to do things at work that ordinarily I wouldn't even give a second thought to. And I'd find myself in meetings having to muster up all my strength just not to burst into tears in front of everyone. I remember one day I was just dropping a meal off to somebody who just had a baby and this wave of anxiety completely came over me. And I like to think of myself as quite an organized person, like I'm fairly organized. We've got four boys in four different educational establishments, sports fixtures, football teams going on, you know, so life has to be quite sort of organized. And uh, there's a lot to juggle. I've been involved in leadership of church for 25 years, all sort of things different happening and going on around. I'm quite used to a variety of demands. And historically, I've been a pretty, I would say, emotionally stable person. I'm just one of those people that just kind of glides. And so this feeling, this inner feeling of being emotionally out of control was really horrible. And I felt really unnerved and I have to say incre incredibly vulnerable in those days. And I found great comfort in the message version of Matthew 5, 3, where it says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope 
with less of you, there's more of God and his rule. It might be that you've experienced something similar like that. Maybe there's a real history of you feeling like that. Or maybe like me, it's, it, you're in an unusual phase when you're feeling just inside, out of control. There's circumstances currently that make you feel out of control. And I think in many ways, life has felt out of control for all of us these past two years. It's been more than just a rattling and a shaking of that car that we've hired. Our world has been through two years of extreme trauma, two years of extreme crisis. We've, the pandemic has shut down the world. We've had countless tragic deaths. We've experienced political division, racial tension, economic challenges, high employee turnover in almost every sector, not to mention the war in the Ukraine. Many of us, I've spoken to many people, many, I'd say most people are feeling overwhelmed, under-resourced, burnt out, stretched, rattled, shaken, overworked, sleep-deprived, and media-saturated right now. Well, we're not just tired. It's like we're carrying this deep-down tiredness. We're, the world is weary, and there's good reason for it. No one on the planet right now has lived through these days in the same way before. Some of the events in history, they're not like, um, they might be like previous events in history, but they're not in these days, not in the same way, not in the same frame. It's unique to those who are living on planet Earth today. And the reality is there is uncertainty around us and there's uncertainty within us. Uncertainty has become our companion. Fragility has become our friend. Aren't you glad you've come to church this morning for me to remind you of all that? So what do we do? That's the question I want to bring. What do we do when life feels out of control? I don't know what you do. I antibacterialize. I'm not even sure that's even a word. But I clean everything in my path. When I feel out of control, I just go blitzing crazy with the spraying and the cleaning. I don't know, what do you do when you feel out of control? Often when we feel out of control we, and we feel depleted, it's really instinctive to focus on oneself. You know, what do I need? We assess our lives. Do I need to move out of London? Do I need to get a dog? Do I need to get a new job? You know, we've deconstructed our lives these past two years, and for some... That's included our faith. Jesus has become a bit of an add-on, like in a mobile phone contract that can be switched in and switched out. Do you find yourself not only asking the question, what do I do when life feels out of control, but is anyone in control? Is anyone in control? In these uncertain times, what or who do I build my life upon? As we reconstruct life, what or who do I build my life upon? And this passage in Colossians that was read out to us was written by the Apostle Paul from prison. So he's being punished currently for going around and claiming that Jesus is Lord. And this letter, written only decades after the resurrection of Jesus, was to this new small church in Colossae, possibly only two or three households. So you've got to picture it. This letter is written to a group of maybe 8, 12, 20 people. Essentially, it's a group, a small group. And he was addressing to them similar questions and issues then that we are asking now. In a society when there were many gods, and uh, as in the cases of our culture today, but perhaps the gods that we have look a little bit more like the reflection of ourselves in the mirror. 
But there are, the question the Colossians were asking is, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? Or is Jesus an add-on, less than God? Is he a created being? Just one of the many gods, one of the idols to be worshipped? Or can we build our faith and our whole lives on Jesus? What they're asking in this passage is, is Jesus really enough? And Paul's response to the Colossians and his response to us as we reconstruct and build our lives in these days is completely and utterly emphatic. In these verses, it's a poem. Essentially, it's a hymn. Paul states that there is nothing more we need and nothing more we need to build our lives upon. You know, most of us have heard of Zoom. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing apps during the pandemic, uh, used as a tool during the pandemic and in those lockdown days for every element of life, for work, rest, and play. And when the world continues to feel so uncertain and life feels beyond our control, we might be tempted to zoom in on ourselves. But what Paul does in this passage in the Bible is he zooms out. He totally zooms out and explains why we should build our lives on Jesus. And one of the thing, reasons why is because Jesus is our foundation, and this passage takes us back to the account of creation, the very first book in the Bible in Genesis. In verse 15, it says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And the Greek word for image is icon. You know, icon, a representative symbol. Jesus isn't just like a God. He is God. He's not just a holy man, a teacher, a spiritual guide. or the rep He is the representation of God. He is God, the invisible God made known, visible in Jesus. It says he's the firstborn over all creation. Not meaning like he's the first God of many gods in a line, but the firstborn being like a rank. In verse 16, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. The very fabric of life, the very point of all our being is in him, in, in, everything in the universe, including angels. It says all things have been created through him and for him. The purpose of all creation is to give glory to Jesus. In verse 17, he says, he is before all things. In the Gospel of John, there's this heated debate where Jesus is talking in chapter 8 with the Pharisees. And they're asking this same question. The Pharisees are also asking, who is Jesus? And the question and the conversation goes back and forth. And then in verse 58 of John chapter 8, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I am is the Hebrew name for God. Jesus revealed his identity as God. Again, in this passage, it says, in him, all things hold together. He created me. He created you. We're made for a purpose. He is everything in between. He's the one. He is the one that's going to hold you every moment Every hour, through every challenge, through every difficulty, he holds all things together. He is almighty God. There is no area outside of your life that is not out of God's control, even when it doesn't feel like it. 
Jesus isn't afraid of our doubts. He isn't afraid of our insecurities. He is in the story with you, whatever you're going through right now, and he's in the story with me. And whatever challenges you're facing, Paul says in this passage to us today, fix your eyes on Jesus. Refocus on Jesus. Remind yourself of who he is. So we can build our lives on Jesus because he is the foundation. How do we do that? We need to encounter Jesus daily. He isn't an add-on. And we can do that in four ways. Read the Bible. Sometimes, I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like the Bible, sometimes the pages are made of lead. Even though it's by the side of my bed, it feels like it's the most difficult book to open up. And yet when I open it up, I read the words and it's like life itself is in there because life itself isn't in there. We don't read the Bible. We don't read the scriptures just to get head knowledge. We won't find head knowledge. We won't find life just in reading scriptures alone. We find life because Jesus is in the scriptures. The whole of the Bible is about Jesus and it points to Jesus and who he is. Secondly, listen to his word and put it into practice. That's how we build our life on Jesus. Thirdly, de develop and deepen your relationship with Jesus in prayer and in worship. And in this book, Louis Giglio, it's um, Goliath Must Fall. He talks about worship. He says, worship is going to be the soundtrack that leads us to victory. Worship is simply a shift of our attention that allows us to see God better. Worship is like corrective lenses for our souls, bringing God clearer into view. That's important for all of us, especially when life goes off the rails. Worship puts God into focus. Fourthly, how do we build our lives on Jesus? We engage in church. Be in the room. Be in the room every Sunday. Don't just come one in three. Be in the room. Get in a group. And if you don't know Jesus yet, you can start a relationship with him today. So Jesus is the foundation. And we can build our lives on Jesus because he's the solution. He is the solution. When everything feels out of control, know that Jesus is Lord. It's mentioned in this passage seven times in those five verses. If you've got it open, you can count there with me so you know that I'm not making it up. Jesus is Lord over everything and over everyone, including every person on the planet. Anyone in a position of power, whether you're a prime minister, whether you're a president, whether you're a premier, Jesus is Lord of all. Their power and their authority is nothing compared to Jesus. And one day, every single person will have to come before Jesus and give an account for their life and for how this life has been lived. And that matters. That matters when we look in a world and see injustice. When we look in a world and we see evil, that matters because God is a God of justice. And one day, he will make all things right Evil will not have the last word. Becoming a Christian, making Jesus the Lord of your life, does not make us exempt from suffering. It does not make us exempt from difficulty. Building your life on Jesus, though, puts you on the winning team. Jesus is the solution because he's already won. And there's a huge amount of historical evidence for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And if you've never looked into that, I just want to encourage you, take time to look into it. In Jesus rising from the dead, 
In his death, he defeated death itself. He defeated the devil. He defeated disease. He defeated depression. He is the solution to our need for redemption. The stuff that we've all done wrong, the mistakes we've all made, every single one of us, but they're no longer a barrier to us knowing God when we come to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. It says here in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. In short, Jesus made it all and Jesus paid it all. So we can build on him. We can build on Jesus because he's our foundation, because he's our solution, and because he's our conclusion. I've told you I've got four sons. I've spent many, many hours watching football matches. To be honest, there's still lots of moments where I have no idea exactly what's going on. And often I'll stand at the cell and I'll just say, go for it, because I'm not quite sure if I'm going to shout out the wrong instruction. And I'm not completely confident about the offside rule. There's a lot of things that I'm still not sure about. So Martin, tell me if I get any of the de details wrong of this. But last Wednesday night, um, it was the... Uh, Real Madrid, Real, Real Madrid, can't even say the team. Um, Real Madrid were playing Manchester City, and I've lost my bit of paper, which has got me the um, info. Oh, no, here it is. I had to write it down order. Um, they were playing Manchester City. It was the second leg of the semi-finals for the Champions League. And we were at the 90th minute. I say we. We, you know, the team, they were, I was like I was playing. I was on the pitch. 90th minute. I'm there in my shorts. And um, we're at the 90th minute. And it's not looking good. Because at the moment, not looking good for Real Madrid. Because um, Man City are 5-3 up on aggregate and, uh, and so, the 90th minute, and actually in the, in the stadium where the game was being played, the Real Madrid fans actually started to leave because they got to a point where they just thought, we are done, the game is over, we're dead, we're buried, we might as well not hang around, let's go home and let's beat the traffic before everybody else leaves the stadium. People started to leave the stadium during the end of that game. Then it went into extra time, so we had, no, then it went into injury time. And then, so they were playing another, what, six minutes? Was it six minutes? The 91st minute, Real Madrid scored. And then a minute later, they scored again, now bringing it level and level. Then we went into extra time, so 30 minutes. Rosie, where's Rosie? Now, Rosie watched the very first football match, actually, yesterday. So 30 minutes, Rosie, that's what you get at extra time when you're basically drawing. <laughs> and, um, and so, so 30 minutes of extra time, and then Real Madrid get given a penalty, and... Benzema, <laughs> he scores, he scores, he scores the goal. And so Real Madrid win, and uh, they come from this astonishing comeback. The crowd go wild. The commentators don't know what to say. They're actually speechless. You've got grown men in tears, hugging one another, hugging strangers, people that they've never even met before. They are elated because it looked like their team was dead and defeated and buried in the ground. But actually, they rose to this astonishing, unpredictable, unthinkable victory. That's what happened. And the, yes. <laughs> but how much more? How much 
much more when we realize what happened when Jesus died. That's what we've celebrated not so long ago at Easter. We celebrated his death. And actually in those moments, it looked like it was defeated. It looked like it was the 90th minute. Some people have gone out and they'd left the stadium. I have to say, sometimes during the pandemic, I wonder whether there are Christians, people you know who should be in this building today, but actually they're not here because they've gone out. They've been so disillusioned, so discouragement, so knocked of hope that actually they've not even turned up again. They've left the stadium. But as Christians, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus rose again from the dead and that the victory is in his. We know the end of the story. We know how it finishes. We are on the winning team. And Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Not it will, it will be finished. He said, it is finished. Jesus has won once and for all. But the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God is both now and it's not yet. So that's why we live in these moments. That's why we live in this difficulty. That's why we live in this tension. All things will be completed and made new when he returns. Maybe you don't know, but Jesus is coming again. And until that time, Paul says in this passage to us, he encourages us to hold on to hope, to stay full of faith, persevering, keeping going, not giving up. He says in verse 33, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, it's this gospel, it's this good news that is unshakable. It is unshakable. In Hebrews 6 verse 9 it says, we have this hope, we have this hope, an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. When life feels out of control, we can put our hope in Jesus. At the leadership conference, I don't know if you any, any of you saw it at the beginning of this week, speaker Christine Kane said, so many of us are stuck in a place of hopelessness and longing for what was because we've lost sight of Jesus with us. Are we longing for what was? Have we lost sight of what is to come? Jesus is with us in our present, but, he, but also the purpose and the promise of God is in the future. She says, the greatest gift we can give this hopeless world is our eternal hope in Jesus. No one can guarantee what's going to happen in the future. Everything can change tomorrow, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We ought to be the most hope-filled people on the planet Earth because of Jesus. Jesus is our rock. He's our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our peace is in Jesus. Our joy is in Jesus. Our future is in Jesus. He is the foundation. He is the solution. He is the conclusion for everything and everyone. It says in the word, he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. When life feels like you're driving a car that is rattling and shaking, where there feels like there's no brake, no let up, and when life feels like there's no power, there's nothing breaking through, today, each one of us can go to the higher place. Do you like what I did there? Back to the higher place, H-I-R-E, not that one, H-I-G-H-E-R. Each one of us can go to the higher place, take the rattling back to the higher place, to the one who says in his word today 
that who is all supreme, he is all sufficient. Jesus is Lord over all. Amen.